If you're here out of threats or even a sense of guilt, then it's the wrong motive. You ought to have wakened up this morning and saying, I want to go to God's house. I want to join with God's people. I want to hear His Word. I want to sing His praises. I want to be a part of honoring the name and the, 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 the one who has redeemed me by His own precious blood. And, of course, God has said that He loves cheerful givers. And that offering that we give of our substance, that love offering that we give to God, well, it ought not to be done with a, a grudge or sense, do I have to do this? No, our offering should be given to God gladly. The Lord loveth a cheerful giver. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gallagher. Thank you for joining us here on the broadcast today as we once more bring you God's Word from the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale. We are located between the town of Cloverdale and the city of Langley. Yes, we're in Surrey, but the township is Cloverdale. You can access our church from any direction, Number 10 Highway, Fraser Highway, Langley Bypass, and we're on the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue, just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway. For those who cannot make it along, we invite you to join us by webcast on your computer at our regular church times at 10.30 and 6 p.m. And, of course, we invite you to be a regular listener here to Let the Bible Speak, Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. We also have a full hour service, 9.30 Sunday mornings. And so, I trust that God will minister to your heart even today. Now, the program today, we're dealing with the Lord Jesus, one of his seven sayings, the I am statements. And this one is, I am the good shepherd. And we know that there are a few bad ones around. And I think, of course, the, uh, the Lord had Satan in mind when he spoke those words, that he has come to destroy and to deceive. But Jesus has come that we might have life. I am the good shepherd. The Lord Jesus said here in John 10, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. So we want to make that our text here today, verse 11 of John chapter 10. A little child comes home from school and has a very special gift for dad. Uh, it's not something he made at school, because I think all dads get a little bit weary of all those little things that kids make at school, and they come in all shapes, sizes, and forms, and the teacher puts so much effort and work into it uh, that, that they might have their dad really happy. But this one's really special because uh, this boy kept his pocket money to go to the tuck shop at school and bought a, a bar of chocolate. And he brings that bar of chocolate all the way home, unopened, with all the temptation of a hungry boy at school to break into that bar of chocolate and eat it himself. But he wants to keep it for his dad and when he gets home. And so at first opportunity, when he gets in the door and his dad is there, he presses it into the hand of his dad and he says, There, Dad, I just want you to enjoy that. And his dad asks, Who told you to do this? And of course the child says, Nobody. You mean you thought of this yourself? Really? 
You mean to say that you used your money to go and you bought this at your expense just for me? And that was in your heart all the way. Well, you can imagine the heart-melting hug that that would cause between father and son. I use that because God wants us to worship him freely out of our own hearts. It is called free will worship, worshiping God with our free wills. In the Old Testament, there is a big Hebrew word for that, and it simply means spontaneity and abundance of worshiping God freely. And in the book of Leviticus, I'll just read it for you. Speak unto Aaron, to his sons, and unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Whatsoever he be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers in Israel, that will offer his oblation for all his vows, for all his free will offerings. So you can imagine the Levites and the people, they bring their lambs, they bring their uh, young bullocks and the cows, they bring a, a, the poor might bring a pigeon, but it has to be free will. It has to be without constraint. There's no gun put to their head. There's no pressure. Uh, they want to say, here, use this to worship and to bring honor and glory to the God of heaven. This word free will or free will offering is, is found for the very first time in Exodus 35, where it says, the children of Israel brought a willing offering. That means that they just wanted to do it. And in all of our worship and all our approach to God and all that we do for his name ought to be out of that spontaneous desire. Uh, that our worship is free will. When you think about it, church life is voluntary. If you are here today under duress, if you're here out of threats or even a sense of guilt, then it's the wrong motive. You ought to have wakened up this morning and saying, I want to go to God's house. I want to join with God's people. I want to hear his word. I want to sing his praises. I want to be a part of honoring the name and the, 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 the one who has redeemed me by his own precious blood. And, of course, God has said that he loves cheerful givers. And that offering that we give of our substance, that love offering that we give to God, well, it ought not to be done with a, a grudge or sense, do I have to do this? No, our offering should be given to God gladly. The Lord loveth a cheerful giver. Now, all of that is vital to true worship. And when we come to look at the death of the Lord Jesus, the same is true. Our Lord Jesus must lay down his life voluntarily, freely. He must offer up himself as a sacrifice for his people, gladly, with a song, and with a desire to honor and do the will of his Father. There must not be in the life, in the progression of Christ through his ministry, reaching that point where he will be arrested and taken to the cross. There must not even be a hint of reluctance. There must be complete submission to the will of his Father and to do that work gladly. We could say there ought to be the same delight in the heart of the Lord Jesus as there was in the heart of the Father. 
Now, that's hard for us to to grapple with as we think of the cruel things that our Lord Jesus underwent. And, of course, the the knowledge that he had prior to that. You you think of such a thing, and if someone played a video in advance and said, this is how this is all going to play out. You're going to preach all those years. You're going to have many followers, and then they will depart from you, and they will come and arrest you. They will start crying, crucify him, crucify him and you'll be led through the streets of Jerusalem, out that north gate to Golgotha, and there the Roman soldiers will nail you to that. The Lord Jesus had all of that in his mind, the weight of it, every hour. In fact, many times Jesus said, my hour has not come. And he knew these events in advance, but he did not work against them, but rather he continually worked toward them. And so we have to say that Jesus did not die on the cross as a victim of mere circumstances. That would be wrong thinking. Nor did he die just as a martyr, uh, one who was arrested for a cause and he had no options. He just was put to death as a martyr. Uh, So this now is what we know of our Lord Jesus' death, that willingly He laid down his life for us. And this is very important to us, because if you're going to say today, Christ died for me, you have to be also able to say, Christ died gladly for me. Christ died willingly and lovingly, because he loved me so much that he took delight, pleasure. He entered into this plan and put his energy into it to move toward the day, the hour that he would give himself up on that cross. And so we as believers today take great delight. The Lord loves me so. Jesus loves me. This I know. Now, we have to search the Bible here today and really see, is this how the Bible presents the death of the Lord Jesus? Or is there any question mark about this? Well, firstly, let me say that his death was voluntary in the higher purpose of the will of God. There was a higher purpose in the will of God. Everything played out on earth, of course. Everything took place in natural history. Uh, The Lord Jesus was a real person in a real place, and he preached all those things that he preached and upset the people that got upset with him. He made enemies, and of course those enemies cried out for his death, and in particular uh, the the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin who were offended uh, because they didn't know how to answer all that Jesus preached. But let's go to John 10 and verse 11 and note how the Lord Jesus uh, speaks these things. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. And so you can see here this contrast between the good shepherd and the hireling. 
And we must not think for a moment that our Lord Jesus was any bit like the hireling, that he did what was most advantageous, that he would do what is safe. No, the Lord Jesus did what was at risk, and he put his own life on the line. And he, for the sheep's sake, for our good, for our salvation, he willingly laid down his life in our place. Now, the hireling, what a tragedy, what a sad thing to be under a shepherd that when the wolf comes, when danger comes, off he goes. You can't depend on a hireling. He's only there for his wages. He doesn't love the sheep. And so it's important to know uh, that as we dwell on Calvary and our Lord Jesus, it's important to know that he does truly love us and love us so deeply that he's willing to die on the cross for us. And then, of course, now that it's, it's history, Christ has died, we can also say that the one who loved us so much that he went to the cross and actually laid down his life, shed his blood, still loves us so. His love is the same. It has not diminished one little bit. Now, what I find here in John 10, verse 17, is also very, very precious, very amazing, actually. It says here in verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. And so the Lord Jesus is very conscious that he is the shepherd who must give his life for the, for the sheep, for his people, that this is the Father's will. And the Father takes pleasure in the death of his Son. This is so strange, isn't it? It pleased the Father to bruise him, Isaiah tells us. And the Lord Jesus, as he's speaking here, pre-Calvary, before his death, my Father doth love me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. So you can see that the, the interest, the desire of the Lord Jesus was to please his heavenly Father. I lay it down of myself, he says. No man taketh it from me. And so you can see in all of this uh, that you have the voluntary sufferings of the Lord Jesus. He was willing to go to the slaughter for his own sheep. And he was willing to have whatever play out, whatever providence was in place. And as I said before, he was omniscient. He was all-knowing. It was like a video in advance. He could see every vent and every turn, and he could see every nail that would go through his hands. He could hear the curses of men. He could hear the wrath of the people, and he could feel the rejection even before his arrest, while he was still semi-popular in the streets of Jerusalem. He knew all of these events and yet, as the good shepherd, he went through with every step, every detail of his arrest, his crucifixion, and laying down his life because he loved us so. I want you to feast on this today. I want you to take this to heart and go home rejoicing. We have a Savior who loved us from the beginning, loved us to the end of his own life, loved us when he rose again, and he still loves us 
and will come again for us. And when he said to his disciples, that I go to prepare a place for you and will come again to receive you, that was no empty promise. It is out of his great love that he will come and that he will bless his people. Now, I move to something else. His death was voluntary, as seen in the facts around his arrest. And we're going to hone in on the night when they came to lay hold upon him and take him off to the Sanhedrin and later to Pilate's Judgment Hall. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22 and to verse 42. Luke 22 and verse 42. Here is our Lord Jesus, and he prayed. He prayed in the, in the, in the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying to his Father about his arrest and his death. And he says, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Now, we probably could talk at length on the ins and outs of this matter. Did Jesus want to run from the cross at that point? What we can say, he did not want to run from his Father's will. Whatever fears that came upon him, whatever attacks were upon him in the Garden of Gethsemane, to the point where the pressure was so great that he sweat with drops of blood in his sweat, that he submitted totally to the will of the Father. And there, when the sight and the sounds of, of his death were looming, he submitted himself completely right to the will of the Father. And then, of course, when Judas came along, we'll go back now to John and to chapter 18. And when Judas came along and he led that uh, guard to arrest him, uh, you'll, you'll find our Lord Jesus again, quite aware of what was happening. Uh, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him. Oh, that proves my point. John 18, verse 4, knowing all things that should come upon him. And I use the video example again. The Lord in his omniscience knew every detail. And, of course, when Judas appeared with his band of men and officers of, from the chief priests and Pharisees, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, doesn't say he ran, but went forth. He offered himself, and he said unto them, Whom seek ye? And indeed, he, in a sense, was giving himself up. Whom seek ye? He knew too well they were seeking him. He knew all too well that they were coming to arrest him. Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. And he didn't run from his identity. He said, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And now, of course, that great event where when they would come close and begin to lay hands on him, the power of the Lord threw them all on their backs. And the weakness of man is demonstrated against the might of the Savior. Because if Jesus so willed, no man that day could have arrested him. No man could have arrested him. But he gave himself up unto them. And verse 6, as soon as then, as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. 
and he went on to say, I am he. And then Peter was going to take the sword uh, down there in verse 11, and Jesus said, put up the sword. No opposition, no resistance. I could resist, but I won't. And in a mighty demonstration, he laid down his own life. He refused uh, even later, and when it came to the Sanhedrin, when he stood before Pilate, he was dumb, silent. The thing that amazed them all, the thing that frustrated Pilate was the silence of the Lord Jesus. Know you not that I have the power to condemn you or the power to release you? And the Lord remains silent. Why? Because as Isaiah 53, 7 presented, he went as a dumb man to the shearer. No protest. Thank you for joining with us here on Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and we're looking today at a text on the cross, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. It's hard to let go, whether it is a precious memory, a home where you've grown up, a routine that you have followed over your lifetime, it takes something radical to force us to change. Infirmity, financial hardship, bereavement perhaps, or some other circumstances beyond our control may force us to let go of things so dear. To the Jew, his way of worship was more than sacred. It was also nostalgic. For Levitical worship to end, it took the death of the Son of God. The cumbersome and demanding routine of ordinances of priestly worship, with its twice-daily sacrifices, burning of lamps and incense, along with the display of showbread, were all nailed to Jesus' cross. What did the apostle mean when he used this language, nailing it to his cross? It means that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross at Calvary in A.D. 33 totally wiped out the requirement to worship God by Jewish Levitical ordinances. God's New Testament people would be looking to the crosswork of Christ alone as their way to find acceptance with God. Not that there ever was merit in those things. They only helped the Old Testament people to look forward to their Messiah, the one who would be cut off out of the land of the living, the one who would reconcile men to God by his stripes and wounds. Just as Isaiah said, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed." 
By his suffering and agonizing death and by shedding his blood on the cross, Jesus opened up a way for sinners to approach God through him. He is the mediator between God and men. To him we come with our sins. To him we pray and seek grace and help in our time of need. We rejoice in his triumphant death, purchasing full salvation for his people. The cross was Jesus' mighty clearing machine to clear a path for us all the way to heaven. There are no more obstacles. Simply come by faith. Come as you are as a sinner in need of mercy, and you will be saved. Come as often as you will. There are no set times now. You need no earthly priest. Jesus is your living advocate right now. He that led down his life on the cross and rose again on the third day, now sits at the right hand of the Father, displaying his own blood that he shed on the cross. Its effectual power lives on. One more thing. Our text goes on to say that on that cross, Jesus not only kneeled Old Testament ceremonialism, he also put the devil to flight. The next verse says, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. As a victor in war, the Lord Jesus stripped the devil of all his powers. He displayed the utter weakness of Satan's power by defeating him totally. When we learn of the success of Christ in his fight against Satan— and all that he has accomplished, life, liberty, lasting friendship with God, it makes it easier to let go of the old life. The book of Hebrews teaches that Christians in the New Testament have a better sacrifice, a better covenant, a better mediator, and better promises. When you live in a humble cottage built of crumbling stones and rotting planks, and then become an heir to a mansion, you can look forward to moving house. Then change is good. To let go is the right thing, and the future is as bright as the promises of God. With the cross before us, nothing can be against us. As Christians, we can sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. And another stanza says, The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. Thank you for listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and we invite you to stay tuned for the closing announcements as we mention our church ministry, our Easter meetings that are coming up, and uh, give you some uh, extra information concerning our church and ministry here. As each day, Monday to 5 and 5, we seek to let the Bible speak. 
You are listening to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of the Free Presbyterian Church in Canada. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. If you missed part of today's program or would like to hear it again, you can find it archived by program date on our website. Just go to www.ltbs.ca. CA for Canada. There you can read my blog, find my Bible study notes, audio and video sermons, as well as helpful articles. Or you can go to our podcast on iTunes. We're on the air Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our full church broadcast and Monday to Friday, 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. on this station to bring you the gospel from our free Presbyterian church here in Cloverdale. We also invite you to our church services on Sundays, 10.30 and 6 p.m. Through our website, you can listen and view to our online services at 10.30 and 6 p.m. Make it your Sunday worship. Click on the Live Now button on the home page of our website. Or if you would like to talk with me one-on-one as a pastor, please give me a call. The phone number is 604-897-2040. The mailing address is 187-9058 Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3S1M6. We're located just two blocks north of Number 10 Highway on 188th Street. Our website again is ltbs.ca. You can join us Monday to Friday, 5 a.m., 5 p.m., here on this station as we let the Bible speak.